Season 3, Episode 4 of Strange Brow Radio. My name's Tobe Johnson. Thanks for subscribing, heading over to the YouTube channel, hitting all those subscribe buttons and alert buttons. Help us out with the algorithms. Today's guest is an Area 51 insider with Jana Airlines, nonetheless. A surprise to me as well. So we will be talking to Kate Adams, who knows what it's like to fly into Groom Lake. Quite a story. Learn something new, of course, and so shall you. We'll be right back with my interview with Kate Adams. All right, as I said, my guest today is a Area 51 insider, and I will tell you more about her, and she will tell you more about herself, her career, in just a moment. But I wanted to take a special moment here to thank all the subscribers over at the Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash strangebrowradio. There you will find exclusive content only distributed by Strange Brow Radio to those that are subscribers over at the Patreon page. We have a lot of fun over there, a lot of inside talk, uh, emails back and forth, messages back and forth. And then, of course, they get to see things before they drop, know things before they drop, including things about the Al Moon Lab, which is available. And it is available, well, mainly at Amazon right now. You can go to strangebowradio.com, click through there as well, and find a copy. But, uh, it will be available also as a paper book on the 30th of August. The release date for the Al Moon Lab, a paranormal experiment, is available as an ebook. And then just to reiterate again, it is an immersive book, exclusively new, as far as I know, as far as invention, of a book that can take you further and deeper by scanning your smartphone camera in photo mode over a QR code and there you'll find photos, videos, and images, papers, and such pertaining to the chapter you're on. So go check out the Al Moon Lab, a paranormal experiment. If you're waiting for the drop of the book, it's coming soon. Paperback will be about 14 bucks. The ebook I think is under seven bucks. So thank you for your pre-sales. I know some of you have already hit that up over for the Kindle version or the ebook version. And thank you for doing that. Also, thank you to the folks at MetallicMonsters.com. The Blondie statue is on its way right now to Lisa Lichen. Of course, you got to go back and listen to uh, a previous episode of Blondie. And uh, she is actually getting the 3D recreation. Sit her in the mail. Uh, we sent the confirmation from MetallicMonsters.com. And now we are in the midst of getting an appointment scheduled between us and the 3D sculptor Guyton Gray and a Sasquatch witness. And that will be our second 3D model. I'll hopefully have something to tell you about that more soon. Also, thank you to Feral by Aaron over at Feral by Aaron at Etsy. All one word, E-R-Y-N, Feral by Aaron. You can check out her alchemy sound tools and spirit tools, drums, rattles, and smudge fans. There really is nothing more beautiful out there in that vein than a Feral by Aaron piece. So please check it out, won't you, and support the show. Okay, as promised, Kate Adams, Area 51 insider on Janet Airlines, no less. 
Here we go. All right, my guest today is Kate Adams, ex-employee at Groom Lake, or what some people call Over the Hill, best right. known as Area 51. Hello, Kate. How you doing? Great. It's good to uh, finally talk to you uh, over the phone and over Zoom regarding your ex-employer. So let's let's just start with a little bit of Kate's background before we get to how you got employed over at Area 51. Talk to me a little bit about what led you down that road to where you would be heading that direction. So uh, take us into, you know, the kind of the foundation of Kate and what you were doing beforehand that got you there. Sure. Um, I joined the Air Force in 78. Um, I was stationed at Chanute, uh, met my husband there, had my son there, and then we were stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas for my last two years. I was working at Range Group, um, and I acquired my top secret clearance there. Um, I just was administration there. I didn't do anything exciting. Um, we dealt with the goings on up at the range with the, you know, the airplanes and things like that and like supported red flag. So that, that pretty much was my exciting time in the air force. And you said, um, um red flag, what's red flag? A red flag is where, um, the pilots come from all over, um, and they compete. Okay. Um, they actually made a movie of it back in the eighties, I believe called red flag. Um, which is, is a really good movie if y'all y'all would like to watch it to show a little bit about what actually goes on during those competitions. Is this all? This is different than Top Gun training. Um, pretty much the the same kind of stuff, but this actually is not training; it's the competition. They the pilots compete, the ground crews compete, crew chiefs. It's it's all a competition from nuts and bolts all the way up to the pilots. And this is a friendly competition. This isn't part of a procedure for Correct. rank or anything. This is just a friendly competition the Navy has in the Air Force. Air Force, right. Okay. It, yeah, it's a friendly competition um, mm-hmm. just to see who's the best. <laughs> now, at these Air Force bases, the Navy does come there and train as well, correct? Um, I don't recall that they did at the time. I know there's a lot of joint bases now mm-hmm. where the Navy does train with um the Air Force. Now, I did before I went to Nellis, when I was at Chanute Air Force Base, I worked for the fire school out there. And we did have Department of Defense, Navy, Marines, Army, all across, including um, foreigners. They did uh, fire training over there, trained on the trucks and procedures and rescue, things like that. And at this time, are you active duty enlisted? No. I have been out of the military since 82. No, I'm sorry. When you were there, you were active duty. Yes. Yes, I was active duty. Okay. And I was active duty at Nellis. And you did five years or what? I did four and two years inactive. Nice. And that's when you met the love of your life. I did. And the rest is history there. The rest is history. (laughs) Okay. So to paint a picture here for people as far as the way these bases look, the Nevada desert is filled with bases. Some of them are recognized. Some of them are not recognized. Some of them are not even on maps. Is that correct? Well, I'd say that's correct. Okay. Nellis, I'd say that's correct. Nellis would be one of those bases that is on a map. It's probably one of the more well-known ones out in Nevada. 
Um, also, there's, um, gosh, there's ones outside of uh, Tonopah. Is there a... Tonopah. Tonopah is another one. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So these are everywhere. And you get your top secret clearance. Is that correct? I got my top secret clearance when I was working with Range Group. Okay. And what's that procedure like? Um, they actually went into my neighborhood, um, talked with neighbors, knocked on their doors face-to-face, um, asked about my character, um, you know, what kind of person was I, um, was I trustworthy, was I, um, like, dedicated to America, um, they went to employers, and they sent out letters and things of those that they couldn't reach, and, um, you know, asking about my character and things like that, if I would be a good risk, I guess, for the U.S. And is that something that's pretty common when you're going for an average top secret clearance that they it do is. something as intrusive as that? Okay. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very common. Um, and I'm sure they still do it today. Right. Well, you must have got glowing reviews because after they went around and asked, you got the job <laughs> or you got the clearance. I did. I did. <laughs> Okay. Does it, what's the interview process like? Is there an interview process at all when you're going for your clearance as far as like a being before a board? No, no. No. Um, It's all on, you know, other people's, I think, I think, I'm thinking they did ask me, you know, um, about how I liked the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if I, if I felt um, I was trustworthy, things like that. Um, to the best of my recollection, it's been a long time, Toby, <laughs> long right. time. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, I remember it not being a big to do or a big process for me. Now I'm sure my neighbors with, with, uh, people from the military knocking on their doors, I'm sure it was a big to do for them. You know? Sure. Yeah. That's exciting for them. What's going on? Yeah. I'm sure it is. Right. Kate's in trouble. Um, Again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So at this point you're in the service getting a top secret clearance. How soon, how soon after you enlisted, are you already going for a top secret clearance? Oh, I was in for two years. And then automatically, were you approached to see if, uh, no, my job required it. It did. Okay. And again, that job was what? Um, I was just administration at range group and I got it because of documents I might see, um, like mm-hmm. if we ever went in, like I was in a peacetime. So like if we ever went in in a time of war mm-hmm. or something and, and um, I would be one of the people that would get out like the secret messages, like, mm-hmm. like ticker tape kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we still had key punch back then. So, um, so things like that. So I might be privy to some information that if leaked might cause you know, harm to our soldiers and things like that. So it's not that I did. This was um, 80 to 82. Okay. Gotcha. So it was peacetime. Right. But it's kind of the burgeoning of the Cold War too. Is that also part of this? Are you getting? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Reagan is just, is Carter in at that time and Reagan's coming in? Oh, don't get me to lying. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It was during no. that fluctuation between presidents, though. I mean, I think Reagan was in by 83. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I would have been, I was born in 74. So I was just wrapping my 
head around uh, dressing myself at that point. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Right. It wouldn't be for till 1997 till I myself enlisted. And I know that I was out at Fallon for a period of time. So I have an appreciation for that, the vastness of the desert and um, the top gun school, I think is out that way, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a, rarely are the desert skies empty of air traffic. But when I say that now, tell me if I'm wrong too, and this is all going to lead somewhere here. There seems to be a scheduled active time mostly for these bases, Air Force Base, Navy bases. And it almost is a banker schedule, Monday through Friday, and it seemed like weekends were kind of off. Is that still, was that the case back then? Right. They were doing a lot of training during the week. It was just a reg, it was almost like a regular no eight to five mm-hmm. job, you know, but the sound of freedom, that's what we call it. Whenever go. we hear the Jets, sounds of freedom. And were you living right there on base when you enlisted? We were, mm-hmm. for a time, we were. Right, base housing. Okay. Yeah, my husband was in at the same time also. He worked on the F4E Phantom. Okay. Jet. All right. All right. So after you're in for a while there, were you hearing rumors about secret uh, bases outside of Nellis? Oh, we knew they were there. Mm-hmm. We knew they were there. Um, you know, people would, uh, people, I've heard stories of people getting, uh, interviewed in an in an in a in an abandoned parking lot uh, to see if they wanted to go work a certain job because they were recommended, and uh, you know, you know things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they they want people of good character, people they can trust that are not like you know spies, mm-hmm. things like that. So, right. you know, people who are who are you know who are going to be protective of our nation's security. Right, and you don't have to be prior duty, active duty, or enlisted or an officer to get a gig like this. Is that correct? You can be picked um, from a program. Is, you mean as far as like contractors? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know many contractors that worked on the base. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know there were contractors in a lot of the, you know, the forward operating bases that were out there. And when you say a forward operating base, what is that? Oh, like, you know, like Groom Lake, Area 51, uh, Tonopah, things like that. Okay. You know, they had contractors in those places. Gotcha. Okay. So after your four years, you get out, and then what happens? Well, I didn't. um, I got out, but um, about a month before I was getting out, I got a phone call, and I got recruited to work for the company that flies the contractors and the, uh, empl- all, all the employees up to the bases. So um, because I already had a top secret clearance, if I didn't have a top secret clearance, I'd have to go and just work administration there in their offices until I could, which could take up to six to seven months. And um, they knew I had already had it. I don't know how they, they knew to contact me. But they offered me a job, and within two weeks, I was actually operating in my uh, position that I was hired for because I didn't have to wait for the security clearance. What was the name of your position? Um, I I was kind of like a flight attendant, not on the plane, but I was responsible for getting the people on and off the planes and making sure, um, you know, the seats were filled at certain times because there were flights mm-hmm. going in and out of there in the morning and in the evening. 
um, and make sure, you know, we got the, the workers up there and got them back. And I, I flew every day to and from work. Okay. Now, anybody who's interested in the topic knows about the red and white jets that leave yes. from Janet Airlines. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. And yep. was what is that base, um, not base, but is that part of the airport there? Because it's a, it's a private part of the airport, which is also commercial as well, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it is DOD. Is that a DOD offshoot, Janet? I don't believe so. Okay. I, I wasn't given that impression. I, you know, a lot of things I didn't inquire about, you know, don't mm -hmm. ask, don't tell. So, um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know. I think they were private. Um, okay. Did and you, I don't you, think, and I think oh. it was EG&G. What is that again? EG&G was the name of the company. Okay. We don't know what that stands for. EG&G. Okay. Don't either. I no probably should have looked that up before I called <laughs> you. Right. We'll just say it's egg. So did you have a, a uniform? I did not. No, you just wore I civilian. I was a civilian. Attire. Okay. I was a civilian. Okay. Nobody wore uniforms. All right. And that seems like it was the preferred method because. Of, Correct. I got you. And that's Correct. not uncommon. You know, when you, you know, that's not uncommon. Um, and also, uh, you know, when you go to, you know, places, um, if you go TDY, like maybe to Saudi Arabia or something, usually you wear your civilian clothes till you get to the base and then you change if you're staying off station in a hotel. So it's not, mm. a, it's not an uncommon practice. Were there uh, Air Force officers on board ever in uniform flying at any no. point? Nobody was. Okay. Nobody in uniform. All right. But there was a blend of people that would take these flights. What, what kind of variants, or did you have any idea? I mean, you must have an itinerary roster of who these people were and their boarding pass. What's that process like? Um, well, I would arrive there and I would be given the manifest. Um, and you know, there were certain people and we, we don't know who they were or who they worked for that, uh, had priority. Now I know there was one contractor who had employees that they were always last on. Um, so if their planes were filled and we couldn't get them up there, they either, I think there was buses that went up there or they just didn't go that day or, and same thing coming home when we were filling the planes to get them home, if the planes were full and we might have one or two that we couldn't fit on the planes to come home, they'd have to stay another day. Okay. And how many flights are we talking leaving towards Groom Lake in particular every day? Well, I know I was on one. I'm thinking a couple planes, but we weren't the only mode of transportation to get up there. And how else would people get in? By bus. Okay. And they were the, bus. The white buses with the dark windows that you see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So an average day of work would start what time for you? When you clock five, out. okay, and flights five in the morning. What time did flights generally get out? Different times. Okay. It, it was never the same, and and the and the flight flights were never the same. Mm -hmm. The flights were never the same because why they would go different spots. No, they just go. You broke up. So say that, say that again. You broke up a little bit. They would go different routes. Okay. 
So, you know, you might go west and north, or you might go east and northeast and west. So, I mean, they, they just changed it up. And um, if we had visitors on the flights, it was, it was blackout. All the windows and stuff had to be shut. But for us that worked up there, you know, it didn't matter if the windows were open or closed. Okay. So you get your manifest. How many people on an average flight? Was there an average of, did you ever just fly one person? No, okay. no, all no. Right. So they were always full. Okay. Because people flew to and from work every day. Mm-hmm. Some stayed up there for the week, but um, most, mm-hmm. most came back every day and went up every morning. Did anybody ever introduce themselves and get comfortable with you to the point where you found out what their job was or did you have little to no idea? No. Um, I just remember one time, um, I remember it was cold up there. It was snow and ice. And uh, one of the security guards, um, we, you know, went for a ride along, you know, with security police that day, just up and down the, the flight line. But that's that's about it. Um, you know, they had a chow hall. We went to places like that, but we weren't allowed to freely roam the base or, you know, and I don't think uh, chatting about what other people did was encouraged. Mm-hmm. But you did have regular flyers that you knew. Bob, oh, yeah. You knew Bob and Doug or Sherry or whoever. Definitely. Was on there. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And nothing ever got brought up on a personal no. level? No. No. Um, I mean, just, I worked with a couple of other girls, you know, we, we did the manifest and, uh, you know, we started, made sure everybody was checked in and we'd log them in and we'd, um, just start working on the going home manifest right away. From the base. From the base. Okay. Cause you may have. So I didn't fly back twice a day. I just flew up. I worked all day and then came back. And there was at no point. Did you ever have to stay the night on the base? No. No, we made sure we got home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And again, what year is this? Um, 82, 83, 82 to 83. And how long are you employed doing this? About a year. Okay. So less than, okay. I didn't know that. So you, um, okay. Well, let's dig into this a little bit more. So you get, you get a flight manifest. How long does the flight on average take from Vegas to Groom Lake? Anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how they fly. And they're going uh, in these different routes here for safety precaution. They want to keep it. What, what is that about? I'm sure. I'm sure that's why they did it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if someone was tracking you, you right. know, that you didn't want to, they couldn't. They say, oh, they're going to be flying over this area at, you know, 720. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's why they, for safety reasons, I'm sure, security and safety mm-hmm. reasons. And this is before Groom Lake is even known about. I mean, it wasn't till 88, 89, where Area 51 became a part of pop culture. Right. But, I mean, everybody at Nellis knew about it. We all know. Yeah, but you didn't have civilian interest, did you? There wasn't people, you know, with... No, not like it is today. No, not no. at all. Nothing like that. So when you say you worked for a private corporation going into a base, everyone's really not that interested in the civilian world, are they? They don't want to be like, oh, God, you're going where? Right. They they mm-hmm. just, they just you know, 
Mm-hmm. You know, back then, if it was military related, you know, people kind of respected that mm-hmm. more so than they do today. You know, everybody wants to know everything today, you know. Um, I think, like I said, everybody in Vegas who lived there and everybody who worked on the base knew about knew about mm-hmm. um, these places, knew they existed. Um I don't, I don't think many, you know, went up there or were curious as they are today about it. Okay. So you've had a chance to actually uh, go to, you said the Chow Hall at Area 51, right? Mm-hmm. Incredible. All right. So going into uh, a cordoned off area, I'm sure security is everywhere. You know where to go. At any point, did you ever... Uh, have a, a lapse of memory and go to the wrong place accidentally? What What is the process like there? No. Um, me and the other girls um, that worked in our office, we'd just take one of the cars over to the chow hall. Mm-hmm. And there's not as much security as far as everywhere like you think. You know, they these people that go up there, they are heavily researched, you know, fully vetted. They they all have top secret clearances. So there really is no need um, to have gotcha. increased security up there. Now, if we had a visitor come up, um, mm. then I'm sure security would be close by. Uh, when you say visitor, that sounds different than your regular flight manifest of employees. Correct. Okay. So and they, go ahead. They might come up on a private plane or they might mm. come up, um, you know, on the bus. What kind of visitors, senators, people at the state department, that kind of thing. We weren't told. Okay. We didn't know. Um, but I knew they did. And I never, uh, had to put them on a manifest. Um, but you know, I was told if, you know, if we do have a visitor on the plane, you have to push down, you know, put down all the um, windows and things. So they couldn't see where we were going cause they weren't cleared. Ah, gotcha. Okay. I I hear you now. So describe what it looks like flying into the base. I mean, are you watching out a private window, the the landing happen? Absolutely. I mean, it's just like a commercial flight. Um, now, one thing I found odd, and I did find it on Google Maps, so I know it's not that secret, was I remember this one area we would fly over um, at different times in the flight, like I said, they took different routes, was it looked like, um, you ever you know what an antlion is? An ant? Or some people call them doodlebugs. An antlion. No. They, they dig a cone in, in the sand. So when an, it's like, a, it's like V, it's like cone shaped. So when an ant climbs in it, the fine sand, they slip to the bottom. And then that doodlebug comes up and just grabs them from the middle, you know, and, okay. and has lunch. So they're like these cones. And every once in a while, you might see a trailer, like look like a little tiny piece of rice on the side of this cone. And I, I'm thinking what they are. And they're still there. You can find them. Um, you can find them on Google Maps. Uh I think they, I'm assuming, I don't know for sure. I'm assuming they were probably underground testing of weapons, you know, bombs Mm. and things like that. But they were just like everywhere, just pockmarked all close to each other and just dozens of them. Did you ever see those with your own eyes? Yeah. Yes, I did. 
Okay, so yeah, it wasn't just was Google Maps. Gotcha. So you're looking down at those as they're happening. Gotcha. Okay. Not as they're, but as I'm flying over them, right? right. I don't know that they were doing it hmm. at that time. I don't know if that was something of the past uh, and leftover, or if they were still, you know, doing those. I never felt bombs going off when I was up at Area 51. Any kind of testing like that, I never. I never experienced that. Okay. Well, what did you see? I didn't see a whole lot, Toby. You know, we kind of went from uh, trailer to trailer. Uh, and when we were in our office, we were in our office. Um, unless, like, we had to, if we had to go deliver something to another building, you just walked in the door, you dropped it off, and you went back. Mm. So um, it was pretty uneventful. But um, it was kind of neat knowing I was working up there, you know. Sure. Because you're always anticipating, hey, what if I see something? I now do it, know. Go ahead. I do know at one time we had, uh, oh, there was a big, big hubbub about it. On the front, I believe it was Popular Mechanics. One of the planes that they were testing somehow got leaked and was on the front of Popular Mechanics. Oh, that place was in a tizzy. And I would see those planes land. They'd let us go out to the flight line and watch them land. Um, it was kind of like the SR-71, mm -hmm. you know, because um, uh, that's that's what they did back then. did a lot of testing of, of aircraft. Uh, but I remember when that leaked before they wanted the word out that they, were, they had this aircraft. It was mm -hmm. on the front of Popular Mechanics. So... You can you can pull up past uh, mm -hmm. issues and look at that, and they'll talk about it. And uh, the SR seventy one is that a traditional looking aircraft or is it pretty? No, looking? no, it's unique. It's kind of like you know, it's got the long nose with the rounded cockpit and it's pointed, and okay. the back you know you have the yeah, it's it's almost outdated now. It makes me kind of feel kind of old. Is that the Blackbird? Is that the other name for yes. it? Okay, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, now I know. I think uh, Clint Eastwood uh, made a movie with a, a plane like that. And at one time, if I remember correctly, uh, what about any triangular craft? Did you ever see any craft out there that was really non-traditional? I didn't. Okay. I did not. Um, but I do know, I think there was a place, because um, some people stayed on the plane. So I'm assuming there was a place even more secret beyond our base. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know where they went or what they did. But, um, you know, not everybody got off at that base. Oh, OK. Did you ever hear about an area called S4? No, no, okay. did not. OK. Do you know what I'm referring to? No. OK. You're are you familiar with Bob Lazar's testimony? I I remember listening to it a while back. Mm -hmm. OK. And what do you okay. make of his testimony? Um. You're going to have to give me something to remind me a little bit. <laughs> right. So he, he claimed that he was uh, recruited, uh, I believe, um, somewhere in New Mexico at Los Alamos, if I remember correctly, and um, went through the whole recruitment process and worked in an area that was concealed on the side of a mountain called S4, where there was hangars on the side. Oh, of yeah. The and he worked with the aliens. 
Yeah. Now I'm watching your facial expression here. Yeah. Um, is, he the, is he the one that worked with the aliens? No, he never said that. Now, he did say that he saw something through a plexiglass window that looked like maybe it was a dummy of an alien. Like they were mm -hmm. trying to figure out how the seats maybe were occupied. I think that was his theory. But, you know, he goes into some detail about working in a compartmentalized unit with uh, people looking into back-engineered UFOs. So, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's that probably that... someplace I wouldn't mind going? <laughs> was there? Did you ever get the feeling that there was something like that possible going on there? I don't think at that time um, that was something that was prominent in my mind. Um, or, uh, I mean, I've believed in UFOs all my life. Um, I'm sure the, the, you know, the hope of a, like a possibility of it being up there. Mm -hmm. Well, I, like I said, I knew there was somewhere more secret than our place or more remote. Um, I don't know if they went to New Mexico. I don't know if they went to California. I don't know where they went. Uh, we weren't privy to that information. So even us with top secret clearances mm -hmm. didn't, didn't, uh, have privy to that information. Well, now, would the Janet flights go to other bases? Would they go mm -hmm. to Tonopah? I know. I think Tonopah was too close to to um, to uh, Nellis. You okay. know, it would probably just you get up as soon as you get up, you got to get back down. So I think they did a lot of busing up there. Okay, but at no point did you ever hear the name of any other bases near Area Fifty One that weren't connected to your manifest as though people are getting off your plane and then maybe taking a secondary flight to a farther base. Nothing like that. No, they stayed on the plane. Okay. The plane yeah. went further from there. When nobody parachuted out DB Cooper style into no. a hidden cave somewhere. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. One of the people I interviewed, um, was an, uh, ex air force, uh, after he retired, he was recruited and he went in uh, and got a full-blown interview. He said that the interview was really intimidating. Um, and he had a feeling that if he were to take the job after the interview, because he was, he was hired, uh, they approached him as he was getting on the bus to leave the base. And wow. he, felt, he felt as though if he would have taken that job, it would have been tantamount to joining the government mob. Because once you're in, you're kind of sworn to secrecy forever. Uh, did you get the feeling at all that there was any of that heaviness on that base? Was do you know what I mean by that? I, I mean, do, but but no, I don't um, feel there was a lot of that heaviness um, for me. I mean, I'm not intimidated by much, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I just kind of go with the flow. Um, you know, we did have to sign, you know, non-disclosure uh, agreements and. Um, things like that when we left, you know, you know, you always say perjury or uh, find or jail time or whatever, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, you know, I've been online and I don't think what I saw and, and what I did mm -hmm. is violating any of that because everything I'm saw and I'm talking about and stuff, you can find right on the internet. So. Well, what is the strangest thing that happened to you while you're employed there? Um, it wasn't strange. the the most The most um, excitement there was was when the SR seventy one came. 
I wasn't really affiliated with UFOs or things like that. One thing that did concern me was, you know, we were all told when we get up there, you know, if you see a green cloud, get in the fastest truck going in the opposite direction. You know, I don't know. Um, my husband said some fuels, you know, some jet fuels can do that and they're poisonous. So um, I don't know what they meant by that. They never told us what it was. They just said, you know, because I'm sure if that happened, they probably would have sent out some kind of alarm. And then you just get in the fastest vehicle going in the opposite direction. And you never saw this? No, no, no. I didn't. No. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Now, we were out there for a period of about four days right outside of Rachel right outside the gates. We were at the back gate and uh, I think it's called back gate road actually. And there is a little intimidation factor there from what I would assume would have been the camo dudes, which are kind of the legendary uh, enforcers of the law out in the desert. Did you ever get to meet the camo dudes? No, but like I said, I did, I did drive with one, one of the security officers up and down the flight line one day, you know, he had to do a check and, um, you know, sometimes there was a lull between our job and he said, hey, you want to come along? And I said, sure. You know, so I just went for a ride. Didn't see anything. I, you know, I'm, I was looking at the base um, on Google Maps mm -hmm. and it looks a little different than I remembered. There was, there's a lot more buildings, and things mm -hmm. like that. It was pretty basic when I was there. Right. But I don't know where these contractors went. You know, they, they'd, they'd come out and then they'd, boom, they were gone. I don't, I don't know where they went. Um, I never got to see that part. Okay. So they, they were a little mysterious? Kind of. Mm -hmm. But they always showed up to go home at night. <laughs> so. Right. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Okay. So the layout of the actual base, you, you're coming in on the tarmac. Um, when everybody gets out, is it just an open tarmac is there a hallway is, or did they no nope, there's like a small anything? building there's a small building with a mm -hmm. bunch of seats you know just like if you were in a section of an airport waiting for your flight to leave mm -hmm. so and um you know we just had a, a podium that we stood up at and just checked up call off names and uh checked ids and made sure they who were who they said they were mm -hmm. and and that was going both ways there and back did they have a badge on it of any kind when they got yes. on the base? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had to wear our badges. And what do those badges look like? Just a regular rectangle badge, you know, mm -hmm. with your picture on it. And Okay. And the, yeah. company, the company you work for, or what do they say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's had that on it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, and they didn't let me keep it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so... You're there for only a year. What what uh, dissuaded you or why did you change careers? What happened? Um, my husband, he'd go TDY. He was also active duty after I got out. He stayed in for 21 years. And um, I had uh, an, a young child. He was two years old. And I was getting up at three in the morning and getting home at six at night. And um, it was great pay. And, you know, I had to give it a shot. But um, it just proved to be a lot to being a mom um, and then having a husband who's gone sure. uh, a lot. So I'm like, you know, a year's a little over a year, 
little over a year. I think I worked up there. I'm like, that. that's kind of enough. Right. So. I want to ask you about the UFOs. You said that you you believe in UFOs. Do you know I do. That, do you know that UFOs are real? Have you had a sighting? I have. Um, I was in the eighth grade and um, I went to Catholic schools all my life. And there was uh, this weekend we had called Come Alive Weekend. And me and it was we had like a midnight water balloon fight. And so they had this big this is back in Connecticut. And they have this big clearing area in the middle of the woods where we go to play ball, um, just, you know, do a lot of fun stuff. And it was surrounded by big, tall trees. I don't know if you've ever been in New England, but compared to Oklahoma, the trees are monstrous. Here in Oklahoma, they're kind of short. But um, we were up there, me and three of my friends. And you know those snap bracelets they have now that glow, that green? Are you talking about the old snap bracelets that you throw around your wrist and they snap? Well, no, the ones that oh. you crack and they glow. Oh, yeah, yeah, glow yeah, stick. yeah. Yes. Okay, so I'm looking across the field, which is probably like a football field, a couple football fields big, and I see this green thing, probably about the size of a house, maybe a little longer. And I'm watching it and I'm like, huh, there's a plane flying late at night, you know, it's midnight. And all of a sudden it's, it's going around the, the field and I'm noticing, oh my gosh, that's in front of the trees because the trees aren't shadowing the light. And it came halfway across and when it got to my right, it started angling and coming down. So we just booked it out of there. We just, and we told the camp, um, camp lady whatever and she uh they thought it was a ploy for us to get them up there to get them with water balloons so no one believed us but <laughs> i i saw it i saw it so and i've seen some things out here in my backyard um let me can i turn around and show them kind of where i live so yeah, they can of course. Take explain us on a it a little bit better okay i live on a mountain in uh shakota oklahoma and this this is my yard it's it's pretty big and pretty vast you know, it's uh, 50 acres. It's surrounded by trees, a big clearing area, which my husband insists on mowing. Um, and so we were standing here and I'm on the back porch and I'm looking straight up. And Daryl and Gary saw this just the other night also. And off to the south, I see this um, tiny, tiny, looks like a star. And it comes zipping across over my head and it zigzags about five or six times stops and takes off um straight let's see coming straight east and there were four of them that night um so that that was pretty incredible we're like what are we looking at you know you might think i don't know what it was i i, I have no clue but it was in daryl and gary were watching the perseid meteor shower the other night yeah. up past here i'll show you up past so you'll see the chickens up past the shop there they were behind that shop up there can you see it gotcha yep yep and they saw the same thing same thing happened um so i don't know what they are or where they're coming from i don't know and daryl said when they watched it it kind of got really really bright and then it just zipped just went out 
Is there anything man-made about what you've seen as far as possibilities that it's something of ours? I don't know. I don't know. Um, a woman I had met uh, was telling me that her son was in the military and she said they actually have surveillances that are like as big as a deck of cards. You know, I guess they can remotely control them. But she said it's crazy, you know, what the government has. And that's all she told me about that. She said, because when I told her about what I saw, she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you seen them? She goes, no, but I, I know they're there. You know, she goes, you know, the military has, has um, and I don't know how she knows. She said they have um, devices like as big as about a deck of cards and uh, their surveillance. But I don't know what they'd be surveilling up here. Okay. So. Interesting. What about um, the property itself? Does the, the property you live on, does it have a history of other unusual things? Not that anybody is willing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to talk to my neighbors about it, you know, to see if they had seen anything like that. Right, because 50 acres is a, is a lot. It's it's a very small piece of property for Oklahoma. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, most people have hundreds or thousands. So, gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. What yeah. Do you, what do you make of uh, the UFO question? Where are you at with? Since you believe they're real, what do you what do you think the motives are? I don't know. Observation. Um, you know, maybe, I mean, we're curious. I mean, we send things up there, right? Look for life on Mars and the moon and things like that. So, you know, maybe they're just curious. Who knows? You know, um, I don't, I think if we had something they needed or wanted, they'd already have it because apparently they're far, they're more advanced than we are. Right, right, right. And so as far as the relationships concerned between man and them, um, your experience is just limited to that one sighting. You haven't had, you have no family that has had experiences. You don't come from abductions or any kind no, of No, no abductions, like but I, mm. but I do have family, um, that have had experiences like with orbs, mm-hmm. things like that. And is there a difference in your mind between UFOs and orbs? I don't know. I'm, optimistic as to what they are you know you hear a lot of people um relate them to bigfoot you know um or i don't know i I think there's stories from you know long ago you know where they talk about sprites and fairies and things like that i mean usually stuff like that comes from some kind of truth you know it's gotta i think it's gotta come from somewhere Right, so the, it's um, rooted in truth, but we maybe it's changed over time. Yeah. Now up here, oh, got to tell you this story about a UFO. Of a friend of mine who's in the medical field, um, he was telling me about an incident that he and his wife had. It was near Christmas. They were going to a Christmas party for their office, and they were driving back. They were up by Tahlequah, Oklahoma, which is um, – a lot more wooded and a lot more active in UFOs and Bigfoot and things like that. And um, he noticed lights behind him. He thought, well, 
wow, it's pretty late. Another car's out. And that's kind of odd for Oklahoma. You know, we're usually in bed by nine. So uh, they watched it and he said, and I noticed it wasn't on the ground. He said it was following us. And he stopped and him and his wife got out of the car and they looked and it was right over their car. And he said it was huge. He said it, it, it like blackened the sky. It was huge. And so he said, we need to get out of here. So he got in his car and they were driving and it's kept following them. And all of a sudden it took off toward the left. Now, Tahlequah and that area by Lost City, it's a very hilly area. He said it was silent. He didn't hear a thing. And it was hugging the, um, the mountains. It was like just above the mountains and it was just following, traversing, you know, the, the flow of the mountains. And it was heading toward Lost City. So they actually drove out to Lost City to follow it. And when they got there, he said there were a bunch of crazy people standing on top of their cars going, welcome to Earth and all this stuff. So they said, you saw something come through. And they said, oh, yeah, it came right over us. And it just like sat here for a little bit. And and then it took off. So Mm -hmm. the next morning he went to work um, and he saw two orbs, pretty big. I mean, he said about twice the size of a bowling ball in this little opening. And he sat there and watched them. And they were like very slowly moving. So he went and got his friend at work. And at lunch, he said, you got to come with me and see these things. So they were still there, but they were higher and they were smaller. And um, then he went home that evening and got his wife and they went back and they sat there and watched them till they disappeared into the sky. They got so small, they couldn't see him anymore. So he called a friend he said he had at, um, who are you at MUFON? Right. Um, and another guy he knew in the government. And I think his story actually is on the MUFON website. Said that next summer, he had three young boys. He said, I just started shaking. I'm like, why? He said, I'm thinking, what was this? Where did it come from? And how am I going to protect my family? He said he felt totally helpless. And, and I don't know why it took that long to hit him six months later. But he just was, he was, I guess he was just mowing and chilling out things in his head. And he just started thinking about it. And mm. he just got really scared, you know, um, that how am I going to protect my sons from something like this? Right. So, yeah. And, and Lost City and Tahlequah in that area, I think that's pretty well known for UFOs. Mm. So. I've heard that Lost City. It sounds like a place where there would be UFOs for sure. My guest today has been Kate Adams, ex-employee of Jana Airlines. Pleasure to talk to you, Kate, and um, I appreciate your time this evening. And um, in closing, do you have any advice to uh, anybody that would like to go into the military and get involved with uh, secret programs? Is this something you suggest uh, young men absolutely and pursue? I-, I wish I knew more. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew then what I knew now. Oh, I definitely get more involved in the. the you would have done it again. You'd do stuff. it again. All over again. Absolutely. That's incredible. Great. True patriot here, Kate Adams. Thanks again, Kate. Have a good night and tell the family hello. Thanks, Toby. I sure will. Have a good night. Bye bye. All right. That was Kate Adams with Janet Airlines. What a story. Really, my first time getting inside the craft that lands at 
Area 51. And although she didn't have a lot to say about S4, she did validate that, uh, you know, kind of what Bob was saying as far as how these random, these flights are, different routes that they come in. Uh, the verification wasn't as solid as I was hoping just due to the lack of time and employment or time of rate, but um, we're building a case here. And of course, we all know Janet Airlines exists anyway, and so does Groom Lake. But uh, really interesting about the green cloud. Uh, yeah, I'd love to get some confirmation about the warning of the green cloud. If you've heard anything about a green cloud, please get in touch with me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. Also get in touch with me there if you are a Sasquatch witness and have seen close-up details for, well, a prolonged period of time. If Bigfoot's burned in your brain, let's say, from chest up or even full body, let me know. And I'd love to do a one-on-one -on -one anonymous, if you want, sculpture between you, me, and Metallic Monsters at MetallicMonsters.com. You can check them out. They have uh, rare earth metals. Also, you can order a copy of just resin if you want just to have the resin copy. And that is what Lisa Leica is getting. I don't know if she got her copy yet, but uh, Metallic Monsters has sent it out to her. I'm going to go grab my copy soon. Also, check out Feral by Aaron over Etsy. Nothing finer than Caroliner to have a Feral Aaron drum in the morning. Check it out. New drums, rattles, and smudge fans. It's your chance to make something awesome happen in your life. Why not? Hey, we've got things coming up, including the Forks, Washington gift store slash museum, where the new Biggie installation is going to be delivered by October 1st. I'll let you know more about that. And as it promised, drumroll, this 27th of October, the Great Debate, Podcastle Live, Manresa Castle. Be there in person if you can. It's a Wednesday evening at 7, a debate between flesh and blood and quantum between Rich Germo and researcher Brett Dill. One-on-one -on -one at the Haunted Castle in Manresa Castle. We'll have that recorded if we can't stream it, so stay tuned on that, and I will tell you more in the future about that debate and maybe get those boys on here to talk. Also, don't forget to check out the Al Moon Lab, a paranormal experiment paperback coming out again on the 30th of this month, August. Find it at Amazon. But as of now, you can go order your copy, digital copy, ebook of the Al Moon Lab over at Amazon. All right, that's it for me. Enough promotion. I will see you in the trees.